We are recording. All right, so we want to look today at Proverbs 13.7. I didn't really have a reason why I picked this verse. I just was reading it. It jumped out to me, and I said, hmm, looks like there's some stuff to learn from this verse. So I did a bit of a study on it. So I'm being joined by Charles and Ryan today. We are going to be discussing this verse. I'm going to read it in two separate versions because there is a difference, and the difference does matter a bit in this one. First, I have the ESV. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Hopefully, they don't pretend to be four. That would be a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they're three, in that which case, that's very mature oh. of them. Oh, this, this would be from the New King James now. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and another who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. So what are your first thoughts on this verse? New King James, better translation? <laughs> just... They're different translations. Yeah, so. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're blessed to have so many translations in English. Oh, so. we are. But I will say, I like to look for different versions of the Proverbs in particular. Because yeah. the Proverbs will have more wordplay and more double meanings than the majority of Scripture. Like most of the time, word means one thing. But the Proverbs, it's not necessarily so because Solomon was brilliant. He would play with words and he could use double meaning at the same time. So I'm wondering if from a spiritual standpoint, in God's economy, a person who is rich by worldly standards, but really they're poor because they don't have Christ. They don't have true riches. Whereas the person who in this world would be looked at as being poor, but because they have that relationship with Christ, they have the true riches of what, what God is looking at and what God gives them, which mm -hmm. is salvation, that relationship with Christ and their sins covered under the blood. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thought and a question, right? Because I think when we talk about riches, right, we have to look at it in, in two forms. As believers, we have to look at it in two forms, right? The worldly riches aspect of it, and then the spiritual riches side. Trying to figure out, though, this this word in ESV, right, pretends. Yeah. What does that mean? You know, that's that's my first thought is what does that mean? Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. So, as I was reading this verse, I said, okay, yeah, what, what does this mean in the Hebrew? And... The closer one would be makes, and it's it's a very, I think, very intentionally ambiguous phrasing. Hmm. And I, I'm not going to try to pronounce the Hebrew or go into the parsing or anything like that, because I really don't know it. So I'm going to trust the theologians and the commentaries that I've read that know a lot more than I do. They said that that the vagueness of the way these this this pretends or makes himself is. It is very vague. And so I think that in that case, makes himself is a better translation to help us. So one of the first ways they say it could mean would be thinks himself. So if you think makes believe. So some there is a person who makes believe in their own mind they are rich, even though they are poor. And vice versa, poor even though they are rich. And then the second way, the second layer of meaning would be like makeup that you put on. So they make themselves out to be rich, even though they're not. They're actually poor. Or they make themselves out to be poor, even though they're actually rich. 
So my thoughts on that would be like Instagram, you know, oh, this is my private jet. Look at how beautiful. Look at how wonderful. Look at how much money I make. People put on that sort of a false front and hide who they really are. Then the third level is somebody who truly has made themselves rich, a self-made millionaire, or has made themselves poor. And I believe this is where Charles was getting at. They have that same, it's still a false front because it's only this life. There's nothing eternal to it. And so I believe that this proverb is hinting at all three at the same time and giving us (laughs) three layers so that we can then look at the the easier to understand layers in order to grasp the harder to understand ones. So you're saying that if we were to, because there's such a differentiation or such a difference in these two translations, ESV and New King James. Well, I don't think it's a huge difference. I think that uh, the ESV just takes a narrower meaning. Mm. And I'll say the ESV is about two thirds of, of English translations translated the way the ESV does, where really? it talks about pretending as opposed to a more vague making them up to be, make themselves to be. One of the first things that came to my mind reading this was some regular American proverbs. The first being, looks can be deceiving. The second being, don't judge a book by its cover. I love the picture of that second one. There is a, a worldly wisdom aspect to this that I think is pretty easy to, to grasp and pretty easy to see in the world around us. What I had a harder time with, actually the first one, I think because I am American and we value riches a lot and you get a lot more prestige and a lot more respect and a lot more favors, whatever, friends, if you want to call them that, by being rich, I think it's a lot more likely you see people pretending to be rich. And so I was having a hard time grasping why would someone who's rich pretend to be poor it struck me, well, actually, we do do that. We lie on your taxes. Say, oh, no, I didn't make that much money. I only made this much. It's like, yeah, that's pretending to be poor right there, isn't it? Well, is there another side of that? Again, I go back to Midwest, and mm-hmm. one of the things that I'd always tell friends that were close to me is I could take you to my hometown, and I will introduce you to people, not tell you anything about them, small town, down earth, super friendly. As soon as we leave their presence, I will tell you, you were just around a multimillionaire and you would laugh at me because even though they've got all this money, they don't live like it. They are just down to earth. Simple. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're just simple people. And there was a gentleman that was a friend of my family's and he passed away years ago. But if you were to see his home and look at how he dressed, you would never know that this guy had enough money that he could own his own bank. Wow. But just by looking at him. But it wasn't as if he was trying to look poor in the eyes of people. Mm -hmm. It was, he grew up in the Great Depression. Money did not mean a lot to him. He knew that he was blessed. He provided for, you know, wife and kids and grandkids. But it was, if I need to help somebody, I'll help somebody. And that was just kind of like his mindset. Yeah. <laughs> but again, if you looked at him, it's like, wow, you literally have no money to your name. It's like, nah, I didn't got a lot of money. Yeah. So is there a level of humility that comes with, with him? There was. Yeah. And then in my hometown, you see that a lot with people. Again, it's just down to earth. They're not pretentious. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the flashiness. You know, can compare and contrast that to <laughs> Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> where... 
you've got a lot of flash, yeah. but not a lot of substance. Sure. And it probably gets worse the more west you go, like specifically LA. You have to dress a certain way. You have to pretend to be someone who you're not in order to get something, ideally, right? Like the idea behind that, like why would you pretend if there wasn't an underlying motive? So it's interesting, you know, and Vegas is turning into a little LA, I feel, you know, in the way that people act and conduct themselves and the culture and all. So considering humility, considering just straightforwardness, do you think, like, how, how can we tie this proverb into that where it says one pretends to be rich yet has nothing? What do you think of that? Like that yet has nothing. I think it goes back to not having the substance. So on the outside, it looks like you've got a lot, but away from the public eye, if you will, yeah. you really don't have anything. I mean, life is just falling apart for a variety of reasons. Relationships are not rich. How you just view yourself, you're miserable. You just do not have a sense of hope. Again, compare and contrast that to an individual who has Christ, but yet they don't have a lot. Not only are they content, but their mind is, because I have Christ, I inherit eventually everything. Yeah. So they're living in the future and not necessarily the here and now. This is not a permanent state. I think there's also a self-defeating nature to it. And I think on, on the first level, if you think yourself rich when you're not, you're actually poor, because you've convinced yourself that you're rich, you're not going to put any more effort into becoming more rich, whatever that richness is, whether it's a, a true eternal richness or a here and now richness. You'll be like, no, I'm set. I'm good to go. The same if you have convinced yourself you're poor and in your own mind you're poor, even though you have a lot of money, you're going to remain rich because you're not spending that money. You're not giving that money. You're not doing anything with that money because you've convinced yourself that you're poor. The same way when you get to the next level, if you are putting on a facade of being rich, that takes a lot of time, that takes a lot of energy, that takes a lot of money, whether, you know, of, of some sort, money that you don't have. And so you drive yourself into debt. You keep yourself poor. You're not working, saving and investing your money like you probably should be doing because you have to look rich. On the flip side, if you are... If you think yourself poor or you, you present yourself as poor when you're actually rich, it, it takes a lot less money to look poor, you know, <laughs> like it, it just does. So you're not investing a lot in fancy cars or in new clothes or, you know, whatever your degree of rich is, whatever your status symbol, you know, for, for some people, status symbols is shoes, other people's is cars, other people's is houses or jet planes or whatever. But if you're not investing in those status symbols, then you're not, you're accumulating more wealth, more lasting wealth. Jesus hints to this. Uh, not, he doesn't hint to it. He references it just about outright in uh, Luca chapter 12, verse 15. It says, I'll read this out of the ESV. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I said to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And so you see, there is then that if you make yourself rich, truly rich by the world standards, you accumulate great physical wealth, it doesn't do you any eternal good. You are no better than somebody who puts on a facade and a lot of filters on Instagram or just has an imaginary view of themselves where you're rich. When you're dead, you're no better off than them. Sounds like Ecclesiastes. It is. It, it does sound like Ecclesiastes. This, I, you know, this parable is interesting that you bring it up. I see a lot of America lifestyle here, a lot of American dream in that. Is it, isn't the idea in America to, you know, the, the dream is to have your own home, your own possessions, right? You, you get married, you have a couple kids, you have your vehicle, white picket fence, and then you work hard and you store up the, your riches for retirement. Right. And I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to enjoy my life once I've worked 40 years and saved up enough for me to live an additional 20 years, 30 years, whatever it could be. You know, how many times have you heard of people that just retired and then they passed away mm-hmm. shortly afterwards? You know, in, in this parable, it, man, you know, is it not God who gives us day to day and knows each day that we'll have? Right. And this idea of being rich yet having nothing. What was the value of that person's life? I like to ask, you know, did they have an eternal mindset and eternal value to what they were doing? And, you know, the purpose, I guess, is is kind of just, you know, what I'm trying to figure out, or was it only temporal? You know, were they living for that little red piece of tape on that long, long white rope? Have you ever seen Francis Chan, you know, give that Mm -hmm. illustration? Or were they thinking in the mindset of that long white rope? All of eternity, all of eternity. Just a few thoughts that I, you know, have in, in reflection to that parable specifically in and lining it back up with the proverb. I, I think it's something that we can fall into very easily being American, right? Like mm-hmm. all three of us were born in America and we know many people who, you know, live this lifestyle and it's almost expected of us. It's mm-hmm. our culture that one day we're going to retire. I don't know necessarily if that is a biblical mindset. So one of the things that I'll tell anyone is I'm preparing for retirement mm. because I think it's wise, mm. but yet I know that if I were to retire in, let's say, two years, I'm not going to sit at home and do nothing. Right. I have to do something because, mm-hmm. again, we were made to work. You go back to Genesis, work is blessed. God did bless it, even though it's harder now because of the fall. As Tim said in a uh, previous podcast, but work is a blessing. So you are constantly doing something and not having the Western mindset of, okay, I've worked my 30, 40 years. Now I'm going to sit back and do zilch as opposed to continuing to work. Mm -hmm. So I would tell people, it's like, I would retire from my job and more than likely after a month of, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. Now I'm bored. And now I'm going to go back and I'm going to be doing something. I'm still going to be doing something. Yeah, that's good. We see that pretty evident in uh, a lot of professional sports, right? People step down, you know, hey, I'm going to retire. I, I played my 14, 15 years. And then they're bored. They, they're they bored after a month, you know, and then I'm coming back from retirement or I'm going to start getting into sports casting or, you know, I think some big names out there, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, these guys, like they played in the 90s and early 2000s, but 20 years later, they're still involved in that sport. They didn't really retire, Mm -hmm. did they? Right? Finding something that has purpose and value in what the day-to-day is. 
Now, as believers and in our worldview, as believers, as biblical Christians, what does that look like? What should be the purpose of our lives driven forth? And you could say the Great Commission, probably for sure, right? You could say, you know, making disciples, evangelizing. Uh, I mean, it's all part of the Great Commission, right? Like that is the purpose of our very existence, regardless if we're in retirement or regardless if, you know, if we're not and, and we're working our way to that, right? That's the cry of our heart and for the great purpose of what lies before us. We're going to be with Jesus, right? We're going to be in his presence and we want as many people there as, you know, as possible because that's what God wants, right? He wills that none would perish and all would have everlasting life. So is there any ways we could misapply this proverb? I think so if you take it at face value. Yeah, I think if if you take it purely physical, I mean, I guess applying it in general, because it is, it's an observational proverb, it's not a directional, it doesn't say do this, do not do this, mm -hmm. it says there is one like this, there's one like this. If we apply it exclusively to the physical world, then all we're saying is pretend to be poor and look, actually be rich or something of that sort <laughs> would be the lesson. It's like... No, no, what the, the real lesson is, is what Jesus states more succinctly, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Um, Does this not go back into a mindset uh, within church of, well, if I look at this verse, pretend to be poor, okay, so now I'm going to have, I don't want to say the poverty mentality, but mm -hmm. in order for me to really be rich... I need to be poor and I'm going to give everything away. So I'm not going to have like a house and I'll just like live on the streets and, you know, wear, you know, raggedy clothes and, you know, like barely eat or whatever. But I am truly a wealthy person because I've met some people that have had that type of mindset of, well, God clearly said not to be rich and not to have anything in order for me to be truly wealthy. So I'm not going to have anything. I'm like, well, that's not what he's saying. Right. <laughs> Look at all of scripture in context and then go from there. This actually brings up sort of a an interesting paradox, if you will, in the book of Proverbs. And that is that wealth is a blessing from God. It is something given to the wise, given, given to the, the prudent, given to the understanding. And yet the rich man over and over again in the book of Proverbs is not a good character. Right. So how do you reconcile that and i believe it is how do you use those blessings from god it is are you building the silo to take those blessings and just use them all on yourself to store them up yeah just just hang on to them make your life more comfortable and better just in an excessive way or are you taking that blessing and using it to bless others well i think go back to what jesus said about it's easier for a camel to go through mm -hmm die of the needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Again, let's just use the Western mindset or any industrialized nation. When you have great wealth, it would be easy not to depend on God to make the mortgage, to pay the rent, to make the car payment, to get some food on the table, to send your kids to a private Christian school if, that were you, if that's what you choose to do, because you've got interest building up in the bank account and you're not even having to touch your principal, as opposed to the person who literally is depending on God day by day 
just to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. But yet at the same time, I believe it is indeed possible to be blessed by God with a great deal of finances. And yet, Lord, this is yours. This money is yours. I thank you for it. And I'm depending on you to be wise. Mm -hmm. I'm depending on you for you to show me what you want me to do with your money. So yes, I could take that nice European vacation. Lord, is that what you want me to do? Is it okay for me to use your money to, you know, take, you know, me and some friends or family on that European vacation? God may say yes. God may say, you know, not right now because take that money and go do X, Y, Z with it because you are giving him back control instead of this is mine. I can do what I want. Another good observation seen here is to make oneself rich or poor. It indicates a transition. It's the one who's making himself rich comes from a poor position and vice versa. The poor person comes from the one who's making himself poor comes from a rich position to begin with. It it does. It shows a, a certain intentionality to it. And that that applies both to the pretender who is faking being a poor, but also to the person who truly is making themselves poor. So here here's the here's the thing, right? I think that it's uh, you know to kind of talk about what you, you were talking about, Charles. Blessings come from the Lord when we become followers of Jesus, and we have great wealth as well, right? Those who do, they're yielding their riches for God's glory. Right and for his use, but someone who is rich and doesn't have Jesus, there's a there's a kind of a sense of emptiness inside, and I think that we see that in wealthiest in the world, right? I think of you know Elon Musk for an example, for an example, and not to dive too deep into him, but he, uh, you know, there he has proclaimed himself that the reason that keeps him going is that there's a hope that there's there's an expectation that if he continues to explore or push the limits of physics and of knowledge and of wisdom, that there might be a chance to find out more meaning, right? And there's like this endless chase. And we see that with money as well, and the way that people who have a lot of it, they continue. There's more, you know, Elon Musk, for example, the Bill Gates of the world, the Jeff Bezos, they have so much money that they could could amass islands they have you know so much land for themselves and every you know worldly wealth there but because they don't have Jesus they don't have hope of an eternal life an eternal promise that they're left still thirsty they don't have that 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 well inside of them that springs forth the living water in them but going back to the perspective of if we do have that living water in us and we do have riches how much more are we able to do for the kingdom of god to bring him glory, to bring him honor. You know, and I, I think that Jesus spoke so much about wealth and, and money, right? The, the camel going through the eye of a needle. So, so much easier for that to happen than for a rich man to enter into heaven, right? Why? Mm-hmm. Like, why is that? Does that rich man need to come to the end of himself? The rich young ruler who walked away sad, he was unwilling to give up those riches. Jesus says, this is this is and this is I think going to culminate it or bring it together a little bit more. Jesus said that you cannot serve two masters because you'll either like the one or love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. Right? The idea is that you cannot serve God and Mammon. One of those two must take preeminence in life. In this proverb that that we've been reading, thirteen seven, 
when it says, and I'll read the New King James because mm-hmm. that, that's my preferred translation. There's one who makes himself rich yet has nothing. He's empty inside, right? Though he has riches. And one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. For you to change your perspective and what is important in life. Am I going to strive for money my whole life and riches and popularity and fame? Or am I going to seek Jesus and let those things happen, right? It's there's a contrast. And we know that that latter person has great riches because he has an eternal promise and a reward waiting for him that will overshadow anything that we'll ever experience here. You know, I truly believe that, you know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that are waiting, you know, that the Lord has prepared for them. Amen. Oh. Digest that. <laughs> Try if you can. I don't know. Did I even make sense? Did I contradict myself? Did I? Nah, you're good. Well, I got a, a rephrasing. I could only figure out part of this Proverbs, how to rephrase it in modern way. Came up with being a monopoly money millionaire doesn't matter once the game ends. Oh, so. dude, that is good. <laughs> That's did you, you really came up with that? Praise God for that, man. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Hope you have a blessed day and be wise. <laughs>